Good morning. It is so good to be with you. I'm Cheryl, and I'm one of the pastors here at Menlo Church, and we are one church in many locations, so of course I always have to give a shout out uh, to those who have gathered, especially those who are visiting with us for the first time at our San Mateo campus. Hello to Saratoga, hello to San Jose, and to Mountain View, and hello to you guys. What a good day to be together. What a great week we're heading into, as we talked about, that we're going to be celebrating Christmas together, Christmas Eve services, uh, and our new lead pastor, Phil Eubank, will be here, and we are so thrilled uh, for that. But of course, we are not just celebrating the arrival of a new lead pastor, although again, we are really excited about that. We are celebrating uh, the arrival of Jesus. Christmas celebrates that God, he didn't just send a message or a life hack on how to live life gooder, be gooder people. He sent us his son, right? It's the mystery of God becoming human and dwelling among us. And at that time of Jesus' birth, God becoming human, it was a disruption. It was a disruption to the religious and to the non-religious, the sacred and the secular. And I would suggest that Jesus' arrival, his coming, continues to disrupt us today. If Christmas is true, everything changes. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 2. We will also have the verses up here on the screens and we will dive in to the scripture. Let me pray. Father, we just pause. We want to let go of the distractions that maybe have come with us into this room. Maybe it was an argument on the way to church. Maybe it is all the things that are coming up this week. Maybe Christmas brings uh, a certain sadness and we just want you to hold it for us. It's our desire now that as we open your word, that you would speak to us by your spirit, by the scriptures, in the way that only you can, we ask you, God, would you speak to us now in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in Matthew, starting in Matthew 2, starting verse 1, it says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. And now this is interesting. It's interesting that these magi are curious about this, right? Magi were astronomers and astrologers in that time. That vocation would kind of be combined. The astronomer part would be tracking the stars and following the planets. 
and the, uh, or the astronomer part and the astrologer part was looking for signs, looking for meaning in those stars. The Magi's were not Jewish. They would have been considered pagan. And yet, and this is a good, this is a gracious and yet, God pursued them. He pursued them with a star that directed them to the king of the Jews. And then, of course, there are all kinds of theories. You can go down a lot of wormholes on the theories about the star, what was the star, and all that. I think probably one of the best theories, but we don't know for sure, is that in 7 BC, it was a year when Jupiter and Saturn collided. Um, not collided, but you know what I mean, came together. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a scientist, people. <laughs> oh, I was working on my sermon talking to an ast literal astrophysicist at Pete's. Uh, he was looking at my stuff and he was like, what are you doing over there? And I'm like, oh gosh, you, you know about stars. Um, but but um, Saturn and Jupiter uh, came together in such a way during that year three times that would have maybe looked like a large star or something. But also, again, as they track this, here's the significance of this, is that Jupiter, if that was the case, Jupiter to the Magi would have been known as the kingly planet, and Saturn would have represented uh, to them Jews, the Jewish nation. So Jupiter and Saturn come together. We, again, we don't know all of this, but we do know that it would have been very natural for the Magi to notice strange events in the heavens and look for earthly understanding. What's going on here, right? Which takes them to Jerusalem, which is the center of Jewish life. And they ask this really disruptive question. They ask, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Where's the new king? And of course, this question is political dynamite, right? Because the prophecies of what we would call the Old Testament, their scripture, their sacred text in Jerusalem, the prophecies of the Old Testament indicated that the king of the Jews wouldn't just reign over Jews, he would be the Messiah and his rule would be, bring God's justice and goodness and peace to the whole world. The birth of this king wouldn't bring a temporal kingdom, but it would bring an eternal kingdom for the whole world, for all people. So verse three, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him, right? Herod is troubled because his kingship is threatened. He understands himself to be the king of the Jews. And when Herod is troubled, all of Jerusalem is troubled. Because Herod ruled by suppression. He ruled by violence. This is a guy who has murdered his own children, and he's even murdered his wife. Because when anyone threatens Herod, he becomes afraid. And a new king is not good news for Herod. To verse 4. So it says, and gathering, Herod, gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people. These were the religious leaders. 
the religious experts. He gathered together the chief priests and scribes of the people, and Herod inquired of them where the Messiah might be born. And they said, quoting scripture, they said to him, well, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for from you will come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Herod then says, then Herod secretly called for the Magi. And determined from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you found him, report to me. Because I too want to come and worship him. Liar, liar. Pants on fire. He has no desire to worship this king. He's doing the math. He's figuring out potential age of this child so that he can have the child murdered. And we know that that's what his plot is if we go further into, uh, into Matthew. So verse 9, after hearing the king, the magi went on their way and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went on ahead of them until it came to stop over the place where the child was to be found. So here's what I want us to consider today. Here's what I find interesting, what I've been sitting with. We have three groups of people, or a person, one of them, who are disrupted by this news about Jesus' birth. With three groups of people with three responses. You've got the magi who respond with curiosity, right? You have the religious experts, those chief priests and scribes, and maybe you miss them, but we're going to talk about them because they fascinate me. Um, the religious experts who respond in apathy, what appears to me to be apathy. And then, of course, we have Herod who responds in fear. Curiosity, apathy, fear. Curiosity, apathy, and fear. And I think there's something in these responses for us. Something that we might look at. Because when God disrupts, I think this is true. We could walk through the scripture and see this. When God disrupts, it's always an invitation of his grace. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. It is a gift. It's an invitation toward him. But how do we respond to that disruption? To the disruption, the invitation of God's presence. That God is Emmanuel. He is the God with us God. He is the God for us God. And here is this disruption and invitation to have an encounter with Jesus. To live life with him to live life through him. And how will we respond? Herod, Herod was afraid. His kingdom was threatened. One author says that there's a little bit of Herod in all of us because we all have a kingdom. 
We all have a kingdom, and we build that kingdom on what we believe will assure us a good life, whether it be control or power or beauty or intellect or relationships. And if anything threatens our kingdom, a child we can't control, a relationship that goes south, the loss of the things we hold on to for our security and our sense of power and our sense of peace. Fear is a natural response. Of course, there's a fear that's a good fear, right? There's the fear that tells us to run from a burning house. But I think there's also a fear that keeps us from our truest identity the kingdom that we were made for. You see, we were created by a king who is love. And his kingdom is marked by love. We were made to be people who love. The Bible tells us that God is love. And it also tells us that there is no fear in love. But fear keeps us from love, right? Author John Mark Comer says, as long as we need our life to go a certain way, we will, despite our best intentions, act in ways that are unloving to anyone who gets in our way. Fear is at the root of all sin. Something to think about, right? Fear is at the root of all sin. Because all sin disrupts love. Fear is a horrible king to follow. It's why Jesus taught us to pray, God, your kingdom come. Right? Your kingdom come. One writer says, when we pray, thy kingdom come, we have to also say, my kingdom go. When we pray, thy kingdom come, I've got to say, my kingdom go. Because my kingdom ends where Jesus' kingdom begins. My kingdom ends when Jesus' kingdom begins. And the kingdom of Jesus is love, not fear. Nothing can threaten his kingdom Herod was afraid. The religious experts, those scribes and um, chief priests, what seems to me is that their response was apathy. And their response disturbs me a little bit. And I have to be honest, this hits a little too close to home, right? Because these are the Bible experts, these are the preachers, these are the Bible study teachers, these are the ones who went to seminary, these are the church leaders. They have all the degrees. They know the Hebrew, they've memorized most of the Old Testament, if not all. And they have answers, right? Their answers are from the Bible. And they love being Bible answer people. I love the Bible. 
I love what the Bible has and contains in it. And, and I want you to hear this. I do. I do. I believe that the Bible is a supernatural book. I believe that it's living, that it's alive, it's active, it's God-exalting. And I think it is critically important to our followership of Jesus to know and to study the Bible. It's interesting to me that the Magi, they had some information about God through natural revelation, right? They saw planets or stars, but they needed special revelation that only came from the scripture to guide them to Jesus. The religious experts, they quote the Bible. They quote Micah chapter 5. The prophesied king will be born in Bethlehem. But here's what I just sat with all week. They didn't journey to Bethlehem. They don't go to see if this Messiah has indeed arrived. And friends, it is not a long journey. I put it in Google Maps. It is 5.1 miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. It's less than a two-hour walk. It's one and a half loops of the Stanford dish. If you, like me, I lived in Pasadena forever. I'm, I'm going, okay, everything is marked in Pasadena by how long it is around the Rose Bowl, right? It's 3.2 miles. So I'm like, okay, this is like less than two loops around the Rose Bowl. It's maybe a 46-minute chariot ride. And here's what I struggle with, personally. If my response when I'm asked about Jesus is to just give information about Jesus and not take a 5.1-mile trip to see Jesus, to meet Jesus, Oh, God, have mercy on me. Pray for me. Pray for those who preach. Pray for those who teach the Bible. Pray for our group leaders, our life group leaders, our Bible study teachers. Because I know this is true of me, maybe true of them. I love the Bible. I can go down wormholes of theological information. I have a ridiculous number of books, right? About the Bible, about Jesus, about the church. I listen to dozens of sermons. I listen to how many, I don't know, how many podcasts. I have opinions about Jesus. I have opinions about the church, what the church should do, what, what the church is doing wrong, what songs they should sing, what they shouldn't sing. Uh, what I mean, this is how I... What color the carpet is. I care about these kind of things. But if all my opinions and all my information doesn't produce a transformation, right? If my knowledge about Jesus doesn't, even ever so slowly, if it doesn't transform me into the likeness of Jesus... What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? 
Is it just to build a personal kingdom that looks religious? To know stuff. And again, we study the Bible and we should. But we also need to let the Bible study us. To let it speak to us. To let it guide us to let it disrupt us, to let it change us, to be a people who would, who will, who long to walk 5.1 miles to encounter Jesus, the King. Herod was afraid. The religious leaders were apathetic. And then there's those pagan magi astrologers. <laughs> and they were curious. They were curious. They sought answers. They asked questions. They listened. They joyously traveled those 5.1 miles to see, to know, to experience, to worship King Jesus. Back to verse 9 of Matthew 2. After hearing the king, the magi went on their way, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went on ahead of them until it came to stop over the place where the child was to be found. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is what encountering Jesus does, right? They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after they came into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they fell down. And they worshiped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And after having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. And I recognize that we don't see Jesus in the physical like the Magi did. But I do believe we can experience him. That's why we're gathered here today. Because we are you are, I am, we're pursued by Jesus. And he pursues us doing just the everyday normal things that we do. I love that he pursued the magi while they were looking at, at stars. That's what they always do. And I think sometimes we're thinking, God's going to pursue me in some big mountaintop or this kind of place. But what this tells me is that God will pursue you right where you are, doing your everyday, ordinary things. Maybe you're watching Netflix. Maybe you're in class. Maybe you're teaching a class. Maybe you're coding. Maybe you're working with a coworker. God pursues us in our ordinary, everyday moments. We can experience Jesus. We see Jesus in the scripture. We encounter Jesus in worship. We converse with Jesus in prayer. 
And when we do, when we have an encounter, when we walk the 5.1 miles, I think our response could look a little bit like that of the Magi. And here's what I see in their response. I see humility. They bowed down. Oh, that the followers of Jesus, that his church would be the most humble people on the planet. They were humble. They bowed down. There was adoration. They worshiped. Dallas Willard, I love this quote. I think I've said it before, but Dallas Willard says this. He says, when we see Jesus as he is, we must turn away or else shamelessly adore him. There is no apathy when you encounter Jesus. There's humility, there's adoration, there's generosity. They opened their treasures. And of course, generosity can take many forms, but I think this is true. It's always a willingness to give what we treasure. The very thing that I want to hold on to when I give it away is an act of worship. It's an act of freedom. It does something and disrupts something in me that makes me more and more like who I was actually created to be, a person of God's kingdom, my identity connected to him. So there's humility, there's adoration, there's generosity, and then this is fantastic. There is a following of a new king. This verse 12 is really significant. It says, after being warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Isn't that interesting? Because of course, first they had followed a star. And then actually they had followed the imposter king Herod and who had told them to go to Bethlehem basically to be spies. Now they didn't realize he was doing that, but they followed a star. They followed this imposter king and now they're following the true king. Having been warned by God, they went home by a different way. They obeyed his guidance. They went this other way, the way of God. And so what I want us to do right now for a few moments is I want to just create some space, some quiet. Sometimes we hear a message and then we jump up and we sing a song and we take off. So indulge me. I want us to consider these three questions and I'll just give you space and quiet to do it and then we will pray and, and we will worship. But here's some questions to consider. When it comes to following Jesus, where are you today? Is it fear? Is it apathy? Is it curiosity? Or maybe it's something else. 
Where do you want to be? And where does God want to set you free? From what might humility and adoration and generosity and following King Jesus set you free? Would you bow your head? Would you consider and give space for God to speak to you? Jesus, your word says this of you, that the true light, which gives light to everyone, came into the world. Jesus was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Jesus came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. Jesus, we worship you. We adore you. We thank you that you have made us your children. And as your children, we have all the rights and privileges and joys of your kingdom. We praise you and we worship you today. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.